All right. I'm going to be looking, starting out in the book of Genesis chapter 12. This will be a study that takes us through a lot of different scriptures and trying to deal with this topic. Israel is the center of attention, the world's attention right now. It always seems to be. And there's reasons for that, which we'll talk about tonight. And at the end, we'll pray for the nation of Israel, all right? Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the nation of Israel. And uh, just believe that God will protect that nation from its enemies. That sound good? So Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. This is the Abrahamic covenant. Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we see this divine covenant that God cut with Abraham. He promised him a land. Get out of your country, from your family, your father's house, to a land, to a land. So part of the Abrahamic covenant that God made with Abraham is that God was going to give that man, that people, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, a land. And they're in that land today, right? The second part about this covenant is that God promised to make them a nation. I will make you, it says there in verse 2, a great nation. And God did that. Matter of fact, the Davidic uh, rule, uh, King David and King Solomon, uh, Israel was the strongest nation on the earth at that time under the rule of David and King Solomon. And the Bible promises during the millennial reign of Christ that uh, from Jerusalem, the nation of Israel, Christ will rule on this earth for 1,000 years. Talking about making them a great nation, that's a great nation, isn't it? So God promised them a land uh, to make them a nation. He promised them divine blessing and protection when he says, I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. I mean, that's, that's divine protection, isn't it? And I uh, thank God for that. And then he promises him a seed that uh, through him, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So he's going to turn him into this family that's going to bless all the families of the earth or all the nations of the earth. It tells us in Galatians 3.16, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as one, and to your seed who is Christ. And so when he says, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed, that is a promise of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who is of the seed of Abraham. So Abraham, and through that line came Jesus Christ. All peoples, all families, all nations are blessed when they believe in Jesus Christ. That makes sense? So we find the four, really the four markers here of the Abrahamic covenant, a promised land, a promised nation, promised protection, and a promised seed. Now what's so interesting is the Abrahamic covenant, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So Abraham was saved by faith. So when God gave Abraham this promise, Abraham believed it. And that's what made Abraham righteous. 
It wasn't the law that made Abraham righteous because the law wasn't even here. The law was given by Moses out Mount Sinai. This is Abraham years and years, 400 years before the law was ever given. Abraham was made righteous by faith, not through the keeping of the law. So Paul writes about this, and it says in Galatians 3, verses 6 and 7, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. So we who have believed on Jesus Christ, and because of our faith, we are now made right with God, faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says we're sons and daughters of Abraham. We're the spiritual children of Abraham. Galatians 3.29, and if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So it's not just physical lineage, but it's a spiritual lineage. Believing Jews and Christians are the true spiritual children of Israel because they follow Abraham's example of righteousness through faith. Everybody got that? So we're, we're children of God now. Spiritual children. Abraham's seed. And uh, it's the Abrahamic covenant basically is salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ, not the keeping of the law. So I, I have six reasons why I stand with Israel. I can't believe that all this is happening. It just happened. You know, I woke up on a Saturday morning, and I have coffee in the morning with my wife, and uh, then I, I, I go over my message and have a time of prayer, getting ready for Sunday morning. But usually before I do that, we have coffee in bed, watch uh, a little bit of news and some sports, get caught up on that good stuff. And I turned on uh, the news and uh, this attack, this horrible attack, next thing you know, uh, Netanyahu is declaring war, and now Israel is at war with Hamas, and it has the potential to just explode into a worldwide conflict, as it were, just like that. It's amazing how things are just held together by just the finest of threads sometimes, you know. Well, that'll never happen, or oh, we're years away from that, then all of a sudden, boom, it happens real quick. And this seemed to happen so quick. Uh, one, number one, why I stand with Israel. Israel has a right to defend its citizens. I'll just stand right there. Just start right there. Every nation does. If America was attacked, uh, America would have a right to respond. God raises up nations. God gives us leaders. God, God gives us laws. God gives us nations. And if you're a, a member or a citizen of a nation, the primary responsibility of that nation is to protect its citizens. And I believe Israel has the right to protect its citizens, as does every single nation. Israel was attacked. I believe it was unprovoked, but Israel was attacked. But I found that and perhaps you are aware of this as well, Israel is the center constantly of conflict. That little tiny sliver of a nation is the center of conflict. I pulled this uh, psalm uh, from the scriptures. It's Psalm 83, and uh, it just talks about this constant conflict. The psalmist is writing in Psalm 83, he says, Do not keep silent, O God, do not hold your peace, and do not be still, O God, for behold, your enemies make a tumult, and those who hate you have lifted up their head. 
They've taken crafty counsel against your people and have consulted together against your sheltered ones. They have said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. Well, this is way back in the time of David, which is 1,000 years before Christ. So this was written 3,000 years ago. And there's a group of people that want to cut them off from being a nation and wipe Israel off the face of the earth 3,000 years ago. So it got me thinking. It got me thinking that the, the enemy has always tried to destroy Israel as a people because I believe ultimately the enemy knew that the Savior, the one that would crush his head, that's prophesied in the book of Genesis, would come from the nation of Israel. So he must destroy it. Matter of fact, let me just say this. The devil hates anything that reflects God. So in the Old Testament, that was Israel. In the New Testament, it's believers. The devil hates believers. And just as he hates the Jews. Because out of the Jewish people came Jesus Christ. And now we are believers in Jesus Christ, and his light is in us, and the devil hates the light, and he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. As a matter of fact, the devil hates everything about God's creation, not just the Jews, not just believers, but all peoples, because they are made in the what? The image of God. And uh, he will use them to go after the Jews and use them to go after the Christians. And Christians have been persecuted for 2,000 years uh, by uh, different peoples and different nations and different isms, such as communism. Uh, but ultimately, the devil wants to destroy all of God's creation, right? Jew, Gentile, saved, unsaved, male, female, rich, and poor. He's not the friend of any. You guys would agree with that, right? So I was thinking about how the devil has sought to destroy Israel. And I go way back to the book of Exodus. When the Israelites were settled in Egypt, why did God take them down to Egypt? You ever think about that? I mean, they were in the land. Jacob and his 12 sons were in the land, dwelling in Canaan land. That was the promised land. That's the land that God had given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? And Jacob was alive and his 12 sons. They're living in Canaan land. Why did he send them to Egypt? Why were they there? One, there's a great famine, and God wanted to save the people from the famine. But God could have just ended that famine, provided another way. He put them down in that nation. And remember, they had a special place, the land of Goshen, within the nation of Egypt. And uh, the Egyptians hated shepherds. And that's what the Israelites were. They were shepherds. And they didn't want anything to do with the Israelites. They just wanted to leave them alone. And they could have their spot in the nation of Egypt. And the Egyptians didn't want anything to do with them. And so Egypt was, excuse me, Israel was allowed to multiply and grow and became a, a group of millions of people to themselves without intermarriage, keeping their faith. They grew, were in a special place, because before that, you know, those 12 sons, they're always doing shenanigans with the girls of Canaan. That was the threat, right? 
Always, the idea is that they would intermarry with the people of the land, and they'd lose their Jewish, Jewish-ishness. <laughs> they'd, they'd lose their identity. Uh, when when uh, Jacob's daughter was raped, I think by a man named Shechem, remember he said, come and we'll give you our wives and you give us your, your sons and we'll, we'll just intermarry. And that was the big threat. How can they grow to be millions of people and keep their faith and their identity pure? Well, God had a plan. He put them in the nation of Egypt. He gave them a place to live. The Egyptians wanted nothing to do with them. And there they multiplied. There they, but when they were down there, the devil tried to kill them off. Remember the midwives were commanded by Pharaoh to cast every boy into the Nile River to kill every son? Well, that's, that's a plan to wipe out the nation of Israel. And uh, God gave favor uh, with the midwives. They refused to do it. Interesting. I think about Amalek in the wilderness when the children of Israel had come out of Egypt and the Amalekites attacked them in the wilderness to destroy them. I think of Balak who hired Balaam to curse Israel, that a curse might reside on them so that Balak and his armies could destroy Israel. I think of the book of Esther when Haman who was uh, an Agagite, Agagite, Agagite. He was an Agagite, A-G-A-G-I-T-E, Agagite. Agag was an Amalekite. So Haman, an Agagite, was a descendant of the Amalekites. And if you read the book of Esther, Haman, you know, Mordecai, who was a Jew, didn't bow to him, didn't give him the proper, what he thought the proper honor or the reverence. And Haman was filled with rage at Mordecai, but not just Mordecai, he was filled with rage over all the Jews. And he hatched a plan to destroy, to murder all the Jews. See, that was that demonic spirit. Amalek, way back in the wilderness wanderings, attacked Israel to destroy them. And here we have a descendant named Haman, who was of the tribe of the Amalekites, now filled with this, shall we say, anti-Semitism, anti-Jewish, irrational, demonic hatred, tried to wipe them out. Think about it, if Haman was successful, or if the midwives were successful, or if the Malachites were successful, if any of these were successful, then there would be no Jesus, because he had to come from the people of God, the Israelites. Am I right about that? Then we had Herod, when Jesus was born, he went and killed all the little boys, two years of age and under. You can read about that in Matthew 2.16. And then Hitler tried to wipe them off the face of the earth. Six million in the Holocaust. So this is a reoccurring theme where Israel is the center of conflict, where they're fighting for their very existence, where there is a demonic evil spirit that is seeking to destroy them, which leads me to the second point, point why I stand with Israel is because Hamas is a terrorist organization that is evil and demonic. That's what I believe. 
Hamas in their charter calls for the destruction of Israel. When, uh, when they chant on these college campuses, and uh, you know, I've seen the, uh, them interviewed, and I've seen that filmed uh, all these uh, throughout America and in the world, there are people that are demonstrating for the Palestinians and demonstrating they're pro-Hamas or pro-Palestinian, and they have their chants, and they, they chant from the river to the sea, from the river to the sea. Did you know that's a way of saying that Israel is to be wiped totally off? the face of the earth, and that they are to possess the land of Israel from the Jordan River to the sea, the Mediterranean Sea. When they, cram, cram, when they chant from the river to the sea, it's a chant where they're saying the total destruction of the Jewish people. So I was thinking about uh, this little tiny sliver of land that we call Israel, and uh, the population of the Jews in Israel is 7 million the population of Jews in the world is only 16 million. So 7 million live in Israel, 9 million in the rest of the world. Only 16 million people call themselves Jews. 7 million which live in the nation of Israel. There are 49 nations in which Muslims comprise more than 50% of the population. 49 nations of the 153 nations that we, we say comprise all the nations of the world, about 150 to 160. 49 of them are Muslim nations with a population of more than 50% Muslim. 49. There's only one nation that is Jewish, and they own just a sliver of land, and yet they can't exist. They can't be allowed to have that nation. They must be removed. They must be exterminated. They, they, they have no right to exist. That nation does not. Just one little sliver of land. That's, I, I guess I'm just trying to amplify how demonic this is. How it's not reasonable. It's not normal to think this way. This, uh, if you look at a map and you look at the Mediterranean Sea and all the surrounding, you got Africa, then you have Europe, then you have Eurasia and Asia, just all those nations and the vast lands of them all. And you look at the nation of Israel, just this little tiny sliver of land. And yet, no, we, we can't let them survive. We can't let them possess it. They must be removed from the river to the sea, right? Now, Palestinians, we talk about the Palestinians, and let me tell you this, for God so loved the world, does God love the Palestinians? Absolutely. The Palestinians were, well, who are they? They are Arabs. They're Arabs. That's who they are. And where do Arabs come from? Where do Arabs come Well, in the book of Genesis, it tells us where Arabs come from. So Abraham was given a promise that he'll have a seed, and from that seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham was promised a child, which was Isaac, which was a miracle child, right? Abraham is a hundred years of age. Sarah is ninety years of age. They're 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 past childbearing. Not only that, she was barren. So her age plus her barrenness plus Abraham's age. I mean there and so she comes up with this great plan, Abraham's wife, Sarah. You can have my concubine, who was an Egyptian, named Hagar. Right? Hagar. And they gave birth to a son named Ishmael. Ishmael is the father 
of the Palestinians, the father of Arabs. And the Bible tells us, if you read the book of Galatians, I believe it's the book of Galatians, it talks about how Isaac is the son of promise, and Ishmael was the son of works. And uh, Ishmael, when he was a teenage boy, they gave birth to their son Isaac. Ishmael's a teenage boy, and the Bible says he's mocking Isaac. And so what, is, what, is the, what does Abraham and Sarah do with Ishmael? They cast them out because they're not a part of the promise. Well, what's the promise? Of a land, of a nation, of promise protection, and of a seed. Ishmael was not part of that promise. He is, they cast Hagar and Ishmael out. So that's where the Palestinians come from. They're simply Arabs, descendants of Ishmael. That makes sense? Why else do I stand with Israel? Number three, because Christians are indebted to Israel. We are. In Romans chapter 9, verses 4 and 5, it talks about the Israelites. It says, Who are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. Jesus, when he was talking to the woman at the well, and she was a Samaritan, so she was a half-Jew, and they had their mountain, and they had their form of belief that they believed were true. And, of course, Jesus was Jewish, and, of course, there was the temple in Jerusalem. And so he's talking to her, and she's trying to tell him, you know, you, we have, you have your mountain, we have our mountain, you have your way of worship, we have our way of worship. And Jesus said, no, salvation is of the Jews. In other words, you Samaritans, half-Jews, that have come up with your own way of worship, your own mountain, your own system, it's wrong. Jesus said salvation is of the Jews. I think that's so interesting. Uh, Later on, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is always exclusive in his claims. Salvation is of the Jews. It came from Abraham through. And Romans chapter 9 says, of whom Christ came. Right? According to the flesh. So, Jesus, our Savior, was Jewish, or from the nation of Israel. The Word of God, the Scriptures that we have, all came through Jewish people. Men. Jewish men. Jesus was Jewish. The Scriptures came to us. So, well, you know... Genesis and Exodus, and uh, you know some of that, Genesis especially, was written before there was uh, the Jewish people. Well, Moses wrote the book of Genesis, and Moses was Jewish, right? I mean, if you look at the, uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament, it was written by Israelites, by Jews. We are indebted. Jesus is a Jewish Savior, a practicing Jew, Am I right about that? And so we're indebted to the nation of Israel. That's why I stand with them, because my faith came from the father of faith, Abraham. Jesus, the Savior, came through the seed of Abraham. We, we have the Scriptures, and I'm a word man. I love the Scriptures. That came as holy men of God penned the Word of God under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 
They weren't Gentiles that did this. They were Hebrews or Jews or Israelites, whatever word you want to use to characterize them. So we're indebted to them. That's why I stand with them. It's interesting, the the hate and the vitriol towards Jews historically and even now, that's why I say it's it's a spiritual thing. It's demonic, it's spiritual. And I'm not to say, and Israel right now is a secular nation. They are not what we call the people of God in the sense of true believers in the Messiah. Right now, they have blindness, they are in darkness, they have rejected the Messiah, but God has planted them back in the land. He still has promises for them, but they are a secular nation. Is it right to criticize a secular nation if they make wrong decisions, bad decisions? Absolutely. Absolutely. Not everything they do is divinely inspired, all right, because they are a secular nation. So you can criticize them, but to seek to annihilate them, I mean, I just feel like that's demonic in origin. So Christians are indebted to Israel, and uh, the Bible says all families of the earth are blessed through Israel because Christ came through the nation of Israel, that lineage of Abraham. And uh, number four, God has a future plan for Israel. I believe that. I do not believe in replacement theology where the church has replaced Israel and God has no more future plans for Israel. I do not believe that at all. I believe that God still has plans for that nation. Number one, we know that Israel was given the land by God in Genesis 15, 18, which is the further emphasis of the Abrahamic covenant that I read in Genesis 12. He says, on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your descendants, I've given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. So God gave them the land. You know, in our day and age, people say, the land does not belong to them. The land does not belong. Yes, it does. And why do I believe the land belongs to them? Because God gave them the land. I'm a believer, and I believe that God owns all things, and it was his right to prerogative to give it to whoever he would, or to whomever he would, and he gave it as a promise to Abraham, to the Israelites. He gave them the land. Luke chapter 21, this was before his crucifixion, Jesus prophesied a dispersion that Israel was going to be scattered. We know that Israel was taken captive after they came to the land by the Assyrians. I think that was in 722 B.C. They took away the northern kingdom. And then the Babylonians in 586 B.C. took away the southern kingdom. So Israel was carried away captive according to prophecies because of their unbelief. But if you read the scriptures, they were brought back into the land. The book of Nehemiah. And the book of uh, Ezra talk about rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the walls. And Israel was a nation when Christ came to earth. They were controlled by Rome, but they were their own nation. They were planted back in the land. Right before Jesus was crucified, he predicted a coming dispersion, that Israel would be removed from the land. In Luke 21, verses 20 to 24, It says this, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. This was fulfilled in 70 AD when Rome surrounded Israel and destroyed them, 
carried them away, and they were no longer a nation. They were no longer a nation for approximately 2,000 years. Interesting, isn't it? Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of the herd depart. And let not those who are in the country enter her. For they, these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. So they will be led away captive into all nations. And they were. 70 A.D., Israel was dispersed among all the nations. They didn't even have a land until 1948. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles. And that is why Israel always seems to have this conflict until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And when are the times of the Gentiles fulfilled? I believe that's talking about the end of what? The church age. So the, the catching away of the church, what we call the rapture of the church, that's the fulfillment of the times of the Gentiles, this church age. And then Israel will then step into its promised fulfillment of blessing and all nations being blessed and the glorious promises because at the conclusion of that, Christ will rule and reign over Israel and all nations from Jerusalem. But Jesus prophesied the great dispersion, the great carrying away of the nation of Israel that was fulfilled. He died, passed away about AD 30, 33. So approximately 37 years later after his death, 70 AD, that's when Rome destroyed Israel, tore down the temple. That's why you only have a temple wall there, tore down that temple, and Israel was dispersed. And in 1948, the uh, League of Nations determined that Israel can have it be a nation now is the Balfour Declaration in 1948. That was a miracle. It was a miracle prophesied in Amos chapter 9, verse 15. It says, I will plant them in their land, and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. I will plant them in their land, and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land. So Amos wrote that. God was going to plant them and no longer pulled up. Well, they were pulled up in 70 A.D., but they were replanted in 1948, and I don't think they're ever going to be pulled up again. So I think all the schemes, all the plans, all the attacks, all the bombs, all the nations that surround them, I don't think any one of them is going to uproot them from that nation because the Lord says in Amos chapter 9 that they will never be uprooted again. That's God's Word. That's God's Word. When Jesus returns to this earth, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 9, at that time they will look on him whom they have pierced. God will use this great tribulation coming on the face of the earth to humble the nation of Israel and to prepare them to finally believe in and receive Jesus Christ as their Messiah. So that when he returns to this earth, the Jews that are alive and remain through that great tribulation, and so will the Gentiles, will be prepared to receive Christ as their Savior as he returns to this earth. And that's the fulfillment there in the book of Romans, 
chapter 11, and all Israel will be saved. Romans eleven twenty six. I feel like that's at the end of the age when Christ returns. They see him coming back. They'll look on him whom they have pierced. They will open up their hearts. They will believe in him as Messiah at that time. All Israel will be saved. Until that time, blindness has come upon them. They do not come to Christ in large numbers. I realize there are certain Jews that get saved. There's one here, there's one there, but not in great numbers. But there's coming a time when all Israel, according to the Scriptures, will be saved. And I believe that's at the coming of the Lord. But right now they've been replanted in the land, never to be uprooted again. And that's why I stand with Israel, because God still has plans for that nation. And we are indebted to that nation. From Israel came our Messiah. From Israel came the Scriptures. We are spiritual children, or spiritual Jews, if you don't mind me putting it that way, because we're people of faith that were made righteous with God like Abraham was by simply believing the promises of God. We believed in Christ, and so we got saved. Abraham believed the promises, and he got saved. So we are descendants of Abraham spiritually. Number five, another reason why I stand with Israel, it's a good one. God blesses those who bless Israel. The Bible tells us in Psalm 122, verse 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Well, I don't know about you, but I want to prosper. And I'm a, I want to obey God. I want to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. God freely and graciously chose the Jewish people from all the peoples of the world to be recipients of a covenant with him that would bestow unique blessings on Israel and would be the means through which all the families of the earth would be blessed. He curses those who curse him. Some put it, some say this, and I have no reason to doubt it. One of the reasons why America has been so blessed as a nation is because we have stood with Israel as a nation. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And so I'm, I'm very heartened that our president during this time has spoken out in support of Israel. I'm not sure what all is happening behind the scenes, how long that will support will last, what all that means. You know, I'm not sure where he truly stands with everything, but I'm happy right now with those public sentiments. It could be a whole lot worse. I really enjoyed uh, when uh, Donald Trump was president, and he declared Jerusalem to be the capital. God blesses those who bless Israel. I thought that was great. That was great. All right, one final one. Number six, God will bring true peace through Jesus Christ. There's a wonderful prophecy. You know, Sam Sadik, my Egyptian friend, he loves to point this one out to me. And uh, I, I, it's a great prophecy. It's, it's, it's a prophecy that's yet to be fulfilled. I believe this prophecy will be ultimately fulfilled in the millennial reign of Christ when Jesus is ruling and reigning from Jerusalem over all the nations of the world. The nations of the world will honor Jesus and believe in Jesus and 
the Prince of Peace will be on this earth and there'll be true peace. But listen to this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 19. In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrian will come into Egypt, and the Egyptian into Assyria, and the Egyptian will serve with the Assyrians. In that day Israel will be one of the three with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the land, whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed is Egypt my people, and Assyria the work of my hands, and Israel my inheritance. Isn't that a great passage of Scripture? Egypt, Assyria, ancient enemies of Israel. And of course, Assyria is to the north of Israel, and Egypt is to the south and west of Israel. And there's going to be a highway there, and the Egyptians are God's people, and the Assyrians are God's people, and Israel is his everlasting inheritance. Jesus will be there in Israel, ruling and reigning the, 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 the Gentiles, the Arabs, the Egyptians, the Americans will all be worshiping the Lord during that time. There's, there's coming peace. There's coming peace. So God has a special place for Israel. That's why I stand with Israel. But I love John 3.16, for God so loved the world. God has plans for all the nations. And as Christians... We don't hate people or hate this nation or things like this, but it's our mandate to go into all the world, right? I've shared this story. You know, when 911 happened and uh, we were attacked, uh, uh, and it was uh, just Islamic militants and terrorists, and Saudi Arabia is where most of those that flew those planes, uh, they came from, uh, Al-Qaeda, and, uh, you know, as an American, we're under attack and things like this. And, uh, and I felt like the Lord uh, just dropped it in my heart. I want you to try to support a missionary that can reach Muslims with the gospel. Because I feel like that was, was dropped in my heart. And so I came in contact with, and as a church, after 911, we started supporting Sama Sadiq, who is Egyptian, who has a wonderful ministry in Egypt. And through that, you know, we, we developed a great friendship. He's one of my best friends. And my wife and I have been there upwards to 15 times. We have great favor there. So we go there to strengthen God's people so that they might evangelize the Muslims in Egypt. And then a number of years ago, we were at a pastor's conference, and uh, I felt my heart open up to a Pakistani believer married to an American woman, and he invited my wife and I to come. And so we went a number of years ago before COVID. So 2018, maybe we went to Pakistan. And once again, we went there to strengthen the churches and the pastors so that they could evangelize. You know, Pakistan is like 99% Muslim. You know, there's hardly any Christians there. There's some, right? So we went there to st- so that the Muslims might be reached. And so we're going back, Lord willing, in November to Pakistan. We were just in Egypt in March. So my heart is to win them to Christ. To win them to Christ. And I think that as a church, as believers, we need to win the Jews, win the Gentiles, win the Arabs, win the Muslims to Jesus Christ. You guys agree with that? We can stand with Israel and say you have a right to defend yourself and to defeat the enemies that are trying to destroy them. At the same time, I know it seems a little 
conflicted. At the same time, you can be praying for God to magnify his son Jesus. And in the midst of this great conflict and war and tragedy, see Muslims and Jews come to know Jesus. You seem a little schizophrenic, but that's biblical, right? God is a God of justice, so Israel has a right to execute justice on its enemies. At the same time, God is a God of love with the gospel, and we want to reach as many as we can with the gospel of Jesus. And I feel like if I'm there believing in God's justice, but also in God's salvation message, I feel like that's a good place to stand. That's a good place to stand. All right. I, we have a five minutes, and I'm, eschatology is not my strongest suit in the world, but I'm willing to answer any questions to the best of my ability that you might have about the, the conflict or what the Scriptures say about this or that, or even make comments if you want. Just wanted to share with you why I stand with Israel and pray for them at this time. Any questions? Yes? Yes. And Jerusalem is going to be captured again for three and a half years. Isn't China and all of them going to surround Israel? Okay. Yes, yes. And so the Bible is very clear about this. God replanted them in the land. They're never going to be uprooted again. But there is, they are the center of conflict. And if you read Revelation, it talks about the battle of Armageddon. Also, you read Ezekiel 38 and 39, the final battle. That'll take place. Yes, Israel's going to be attacked. All the nations will gather there in the Valley of Megiddo, and God will deliver Israel at that time at his second coming. Well, I believe in uh, a pre-trib rapture, so I believe that we will come back with Jesus at his second coming, right? That we'll come back with him. We're part of the armies of heaven coming back with Jesus at that time. Okay. Anybody, any other questions? Way back there. I'm sorry, I can't hear. Pen pals? Gentiles? What about them? Where do they come from? Where do Gentiles come from? Well, they're, they're the, all the nations of the earth that are, that are everything but Jews. And so Abraham had, excuse me, not Abraham, Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And out of them are all the families of the earth. Uh, the Japheth clan kind of went up to Europe. We consider those the white people or the Europeans. And then the Hamitic people, they migrated down more towards Africa. They're the people of color. That'd be uh, your blacks and your browns and your reds, people of color. Then the Shem that would be uh, more like your Middle Eastern people, out of that which came the Jews. Uh, but any, any person that is outside the line of Abraham are Gentiles. So I'm a Gentile. I don't know if we have any people that were born Jewish here, that you, that you have that in your lineage. Uh, if not, we're all Gentiles. Imagine that, Gentiles. Because uh, Paul writes about this in the book of Romans. I hope that answered your question. Paul writes about this in the book of Romans. When the Jews rejected Jesus, 
Salvation came to us. So their rejection of the Messiah brought salvation to the Gentiles. What a glorious thing. But he also says, what will happen when they accept the Messiah? Well, something even better. When the Jews accept the Messiah, which they will when he returns the second time, when they accept the Messiah, it'll be what we call the 1,000-year reign of Christ on this earth. It'll be even more glorious. So the rejection of Christ by the Jews brought the Gentiles into saving faith. The acceptance of Jesus Christ by the Jews will bring Jesus Christ on this earth for a thousand years, ruling and reigning, where there'll be absolute peace. Isn't that great? Any other questions? Yes. I don't know, can you speak out? Do I think Turkey and. Okay, I got you. Do I think what's happening now could spiral into Ezekiel? Well, I think so. I think it could. I don't think it will, but I think it could. Uh, but you do see the setting of tables. If you read about Ezekiel 38 and 39, the nations that, that are lined up against Israel, those nations, it's the nations to the north of, of Israel, which would be Turkey and Syria, Armenia, up to Russia. It also talks about Persia, which is modern-day Iran, and also some African nations, Ethiopia, and I think Libya. Well, the table is set. Those nations that the Bible says will be against Israel and part of that invading force, they're already aligned together against Israel, right? And so I think the table is set. I think we see prophecy being set up for its fulfillment. And so I think it could. I'm not, if you were asking me, I. I if Jesus Christ comes tonight and catches us home to be with him, and all of a sudden light is taken out, and that which is withholding uh, is removed, then all this could easily happen quickly. Do you, do you believe so? Uh, yes? Excuse me? Say that again. Where does America fit in end times? You know what? I've never, I've never been real convinced with how preachers have tried to find America. Uh, all the nations will be lined up against them. Anybody have any good, good answers on where America fits? Because, I, I mean, I've heard, I've heard people try to take a stab at it. Uh, Doug, did you have You don't think Antichrist could stand up if America is strong? Okay. Yes?
No, I, I definitely agree that God has uh, raised America up, and we are supporters of Israel. We're a great missions sending a nation. We're, we've been a great light to this world in many ways. Uh, it's just very challenging to find prophecies that you can put your finger on that point to specifically America. I just, you know, I've, I've heard, you know, the prophecies about the eagles because uh, the, the national bird is the eagle and there's some, some verses that talk about eagles and they'll, they'll say that's, that's America. But I don't find it uh, real convincing, I suppose. So I do not see America prophesied specifically in the Scriptures concerning end-time events. I do believe that we have a role to play, and uh, America is a very fallen nation now, obviously. And uh, God is going to judge all nations, including America. And uh, uh, the Great Tribulation is coming upon the whole world, which includes America as well, right? Excuse me? America might lose its power. Well, well, I think America will. I think Babylon will fall, you know, uh, religious Babylon and also uh, economic Babylon. And I think America is part of that world system. So I think America will, in the last days, go into collapse as well. All right. uh, We have time for one more question. One more question. Is that Shannon? Okay. Zionism? Uh, what do I know about that? Well, you know, uh, thank you for that. And I think it has to be defined what you mean by Zionism. Uh, Zionism is racism is usually the slogan that a lot of people say. Okay, so Israel is a nation for the Jewish people. So how many Jews are in the world? 16 million. 7 million of the 16 live in Israel. Israel was formed as a nation to be a Jewish nation. And so in that sense, people say it's racist because it's only for Jewish people. That makes sense? And so Zionism in its worst sense, the enemies would say it's an apartheid state, an apartheid nation. It's only for the Jews. It excludes everybody else. That, that means it's a pariah nation because it's only for the... I mean, the, the Jewish nation of Israel, they do not want it to be a Christian nation. They certainly don't want to be a Muslim nation. They don't want it to be a melting pot. They want it to be Jewish. It was formed to be Jewish for the Jews to have their land so that never again can they be dispersed, but they can be protected because of what happened in World War II and the history is that they've always been... uh, People have sought to destroy the Jews, right? So they wanted their own nation for protection. So they wanted to keep it a Jewish nation. And so 
that to me is why people say that Zionism is apartheid or Zionism is racism, and that's why they're... But take all... That's why it's, it's not common sense or fair because the Muslim nations that I go to, they do not want to be a Christian nation. They do not want to be a Jewish nation. They want to be a what? A Muslim nation. Well, why aren't they picked out as well? But it's the Jewish nation that is picked out. That this is wrong, that they want to be Jewish, exclusively Jewish, that only Jewish. They want to be a Jewish nation. They don't want to be a melting pot. They don't, you know what I'm saying? So that's Zionism from their enemies or their detractors. That's why they call Zionism racism or apartheid is because they want to be a strict Jewish nation. Now, did I answer your question? What do I think? What, what you, I'm sorry, I'm not answering your question. Zionists want to destroy Gentiles? A lot of Jewish people hate Christians? Okay. Well, I would say that that's demonic, that I would not stand with that, that that would not be representative of Jews as a whole. Uh, you know, I do, do I think that there are Jews that hate Christians? Yes, because of what they believe Christians have done to the Jews through the years. And uh, so, yes, I do think that. And so I would not support that, obviously. And so I would support, like this message tonight, the Jews as a nation, as a nation that God still has plans for, of which came Jesus Christ. There's blessings if we do bless Israel. But certainly we can say... Uh, there are aspects maybe of individual Jews or groups of Jews that we can't support, that we would stand against that. Is that helpful? Oh, very good, very good. All right, all right, I think that's it. Well, let's close and let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for our time together, our study in the Word. Thank you, Lord, for these questions. They're challenging questions. And, and Lord, we just uh, place it all in your hands. And we're so thankful, Lord, that you have plans and purposes for all the nations of the earth, especially Israel. And Lord, we pray that you protect them from those that are trying to annihilate them and destroy them. And Lord, we, we pray that you would keep them safe and bring that nation into peace. And Lord, we pray for all those that are caught up in this, Jew and Arab, Palestinian, Gentiles. Lord, that Jesus Christ might shine bright, that through these tragedies and these challenges, Lord, that they would turn to Jesus Christ. Lord, we are believers. Ultimately, you are the Prince of Peace, and there's only true peace in you. And so we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, that they might embrace the Prince of Peace, and those surrounding nations, that they might embrace the Prince of Peace. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen and amen. All right, well, thank you so much. You guys were great. Went a little bit longer than I thought, but it's your fault. You asked all those questions.